Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. It is not difficult to implement these subtle signals that halt cultural change. The deck is stacked against you already to change the culture, and it doesn't take a lot for somebody to say, oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're saying that, but don't worry, things will go back to the way they were. People go, we need to make a culture change, and we're gonna do it in the next six months. Well, you know what? In my experience, it takes a lot longer than that. The culture in the organization of this airline, they called customers self-loading freight, you know, or passengers self-loading freight, which tells you <laughs> all you need to know. So Ryan, I was once running a workshop. It was actually a utility client, and this was a number of years ago when we first started Beyond Philosophy. Okay. I always remember it because I was talking to them about the concept of customer experience and everyone was all really engaged. About 20 people in the room. I always remember you sort of U-shaped. As we were sort of coming up with ideas of what we could do to change, this young lady was sitting there and she kept saying, what about if we did this? And all the people around her who had a lot of, um, I have to say, primarily male with lots of gray hair, mm -hmm. would say, oh, no, we did that. We tried that in 1972 and it didn't work. And then, you know, five minutes later, she'd say, well, what about if we did this? By the way, she'd only been in the company for a, about six months, nine months. Basically, everything that she said, they all poo-pooed yeah. and all basically said that they've tried it before and it doesn't work or it wouldn't work for this and it wouldn't work for that. And I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today, which is the five rules for gaining organizational change within your company. So what are the five key rules that we've discovered that will gain you organizational change? Because I think that's a classic example of how the culture of an organization keeps going. You and I have talked before on the podcast about the importance of culture. I think you'd agree it's, it's one of the key drivers of customer experience and customer experience management. Um, you can release a set of advice and guidance and tactics and all that stuff, but unless it's kind of baked into the culture of your organization, it's just, it's not going to go anywhere. And so this question of how do you then instill a culture, how do you change a culture within an organization becomes absolutely vital. And your story speaks to how difficult that is. The culture of that organization is one of not changing. And so that is reinforced in very subtle and sometimes overt ways. And so if you, if, you know, you were in a meeting to change things and the message that they were sending to the, uh, the junior people in the room and also inadvertently to you is that, yes, yes, let's, we're happy to talk about change, but change is not going to happen. Yes. So yes. how do you fix that? How do you, how do you get your culture on board with something? 
And the good news is we've got five easy steps for doing that. You should be able to change your culture by the time we're done with this podcast, I think. I'd, I'd like to challenge you on the on the five easy steps. Is that what we're promising? <laughs> 15 minutes of listening. Change your culture yeah. today. Absolutely. 24 grams of salt, some water, and it's done. Don't know what the problem the is. The first rule is over-promise and under-deliver. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the first rule of changing. No. Just to reinforce it, because you made me think, I was literally talking to a chief marketing officer of a multinational company the other day who has just joined and wants to change the culture of the organization. And and knowing the organization, I think he's totally right in doing so. Started to talk to people within the organization about understanding whether they understand about customer emotions and all those types of things. And basically, the guy I was talking to basically said, there's no point in doing this, it won't be accepted. And the challenge I gave him then is, well, if you take that view, the organization's never going to move on. And it's just stuck where it is. So here's the rules. And these are rules that I've personally learned and Ryan's learned over years of trying to understand this stuff and do this stuff, etc. And I'm sure that a number of these you may have heard from other places as well. But these, for me, are the key five. So the first one is create or define what the burning platform is. So why make the change? What's the reason? Because just turning around and going, hey, let's change the culture is not going to work. Because that classic stuff of the pain of change needs to be less than the pain of staying where you are. Otherwise, you will just stay where you are because you'll go to the least painful area. And to again make this practical, if you think about companies like Circuit City, Sears, Blockbuster, Kodak, JCPenney, well, they're still there. We're recording this a few days early, so (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, just literally think over the next few months, as we go through the pandemic and therefore the recession and everything else that follows, how many organizations like the Kodaks and the Blockbusters, if they had a more customer-centric culture, they would probably be here today because they would have realized that the market is moving on and all the rest of it. There needs to be some urgency to this. When you think about goals that people have that succeed and, and that don't, Weight loss is a very common goal. A lot of us have that goal. We want to lose some weight. And then yet we fail over and over again. But when you think back to the instances where it succeeds for people, a lot of times it's tied to some specific event. So like I need to lose weight before this wedding or I need to lose weight before this reunion. And it it gets to this, this burning platform idea, which is that there needs to be a sense of urgency. Like this needs to happen by this time. This needs to happen right now because when you get comfortable we've talked about loss aversion before on the podcast. And one of the implications of loss aversion is that when you are in a gain frame, which is what most companies are in, right? They're, they're comfortable. Things are going okay. You are very risk averse. And that means you don't want to change. And it's when you get into a loss frame, when, when you realize that the platform's on fire, things are happening, we need to change right now. Maybe we're losing money or maybe we see a big threat. When you get in that loss frame, psychologically, your risk preferences flip and you become more risk-seeking. You're willing to make changes and make risks. And so implementing this kind of sense of urgency 
is vital for any kind of cultural change. To your point, if it's less painful to just keep doing things the way we've been doing things, that's very comfortable psychologically. We like not changing. Yeah. And a key part of that, I guess it's implicit in in what we're saying here, but it's about then the communications of that. And we tend to go into clients who, in 80% of the time, are struggling. Yeah. And the reason they're struggling is because they should have made the change a while ago, but haven't because they've been complacent. But it's then about the communication of that burning platform and making sure that everybody understands the consequences of that burning platform. Yeah. And your point about how it's communicated is a good one. There's a a professor at Emory who teaches cultural change, and I've, I've sat in on some of his lectures. Part of his spiel, his name is Brandon Smith. He also has a, a podcast out there. When he does this training, Tabasco makes these tiny, tiny little Tabasco jars. It's it's like single serving. It's like a half an inch tall, these little tiny Tabasco bottles. And when Brandon teaches culture change, when he gets to this idea about needing to instill urgency, he'll give out these Tabasco bottles for people to take home and leave in, on their desk as a reminder. And his point is that it's got to burn, but it's also got to be manageable, right? A little bit of burn, just a, you know, a, a tiny bit of Tabasco. You don't want to make people despondent. You don't, you don't want to terrify people, but this, the sense of urgency is necessary. Yes, absolutely. So number two, maybe this number two actually goes against your easy bit, but we can discuss it. <laughs> number two is recognize that this is long-term. I've been in many organizations where people go, we need to make a culture change and we're going to do it in the next six months. Well, you know what? In my experience, it takes a lot longer than that. You may be able to start it, but physically changing the culture of an organization is a is a long-term goal. I'm talking now about three, five years. I'm not saying that you can't make progress, but to get the culture change to stick, which then goes back into, we obviously discussed on this podcast, habits, getting people to change the habits, getting people to change the way that they do things is really quite a challenge. And interestingly, what's just zoomed across my mind is that we know with habits, a time to make a change is when there has been some big event. Yep. Like some a pandemic. Kind of disruption. <laughs> yeah. With a pandemic, things have changed because everyone's working at home now and stuff like that. So it could be that you want to start to use that to make that change. But basically, the key message here is, it's not something you're going to achieve in six months. If you think you are going to achieve it in six months, my advice would be don't even try it because it's going to take you a lot longer than that. You can make changes, but you're not going to see the results in six months. Yeah, I mean, another way of putting the the point that you just raised with the massive changes that have, have happened around the pandemic and people working from home and so on, the culture of your organization is almost certainly changing now as people handle meetings differently. And the question is, is it deliberative? Like, are you overseeing that change or are you passively allowing it to happen? And hoping that it turns out for the better, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, no, that's a very very good point, actually. And is a nice segue into basically third rule, which is you need to have a clear picture of what the future looks like. So the reason it's a nice segue is, because it needs to be deliberate. It's not just 
evolution and you're not in control, but we want to get here, yeah? And then the articulation of what the here looks like, yeah? And for me, the key part, again, and it's pretty basic stuff, but it's when we are here, it looks like this, and therefore it means that we start doing these things and we stop doing these things. And that, for me, again, is very tactical, and it goes back to our company name, Beyond Philosophy, which is going beyond the philosophy and doing something. It's the articulation of the vision, the philosophy, but what does it mean I need to do? And in that articulation of here are the new things we want you to do, and here are the old things we want you to stop, that also becomes very measurable and very behavioral orientated. I always remember in my early career in corporate life, the flavor of the month at that particular time was total quality management. I don't know if you're old enough to remember those days. I was with a big corporate telecoms at the time, early stages of my career, and we went on a training course for this total quality management. And one of the really good things that came out of it was that, you know, they said for every meeting that you have, you should have an agenda. For every meeting you had, there should be an objective. You should articulate those things beforehand. You need to stick to the time of those meetings. The good thing about those things were they were really hard things, solid things that you could do. And if you didn't do them, it was obvious you weren't doing them. Yeah, Uh, And rightly so, people would say, this meeting was scheduled for half an hour and I am now leaving because it's we're trying to change the culture of what we're we're doing. And in fact, that just reminded me of a nice little story I'm going to use at this point because and this is where it ties in the culture of your organization and and how your organization is, how it reflects on the experience that your customers have. Okay? So one of the things we say is that if you're if you're internally you're thinking about the culture of your organization when you start thinking about customers and let's talk about an airline two interesting things one is the culture in the organization of this airline they called customers self-loading freight yeah or passengers self-loading freight which tells you the way <laughs> that they need look to at know them. yeah absolutely and the other interesting thing was that when we were working there was we were coming up with this, what we call this customer experience statement, which is this articulation of the experience that we're trying to, the organization was trying to deliver. One of the things that this organization airline wanted to do was to be punctual, which you go, yeah, that makes sense, an airline being punctual. But the point we made to them was that every meeting we'd ever had with them, (laughs) they were late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Our point to them was a serious one. It was difficult to say, but it permeates throughout the organization. So if you are saying that you want your organization to be punctual and that's the culture you want to have, then guess what? That will permeate throughout the organization and into the customers. If you are trying to be over-efficient within your organization – then guess what? Ultimately, that manifests itself with being over-efficient with customers and can lose some of the things that drive value in terms of customer emotions, etc. So going back to this rule, yeah, the, the rule is 
be clear what the vision looks like, yeah, and be able to articulate it, be able to articulate it in what you want people to do and what you don't want people to do and make them really solid things so it's obvious when somebody's doing it or not doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I think it's great. What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium, or large size organization, why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking an experience health check? In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if we can't practically do that, we'll talk to some of your customers and we'll assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash healthcheck. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash healthcheck. You and I have done podcasts before on the importance of little things or on the, the tiny changes that can, can lead to big outcomes. I think especially with culture, that is going to be true. So your point about starting meetings on time, that really has nothing to do with how quickly planes are loaded and unloaded and gotten onto the jetway, which is what the customer's experience cares for. And yet culturally, within an organization, it can send a very powerful signal. I've worked with a company who got a new CEO in and and decided that their safety record wasn't just not good. I think it was okay for the industry they were in, but they they were just not satisfied with it at all. They said safety is, is the top priority in our culture. And it didn't stop there. They made a lot of real concrete changes about how people who were, were in kind of the dangerous professions within the company would operate down to things like cell phones were never to be used in the car while driving at all, like not even hands-free, like this was a thing. And so if you were in the car and received a phone call or took a phone call from work, that would be frowned upon immediately and the person would realize it and hang up with you. And another thing they did is they started every meeting with information about how to evacuate the building. So I was in meetings with these people and we're in their executive suite and they would say, okay, before we start, the exits are here and here, and this is where the stairwell is. And this, and it was a very, very subtle thing. Everybody in that room knew how to get out of the building. They'd been working there for years. And yet they started every meeting with that information. And it was this subtle cultural signal. Yep. One of the cultural signals I always like to check on when I'm looking at things from a sort of customer-centric perspective is just ask in your team meeting, where do you review your customer statistics? Because sometimes they don't review them at all. Sometimes they review them at the bottom of the agenda. So it's the thing that always gets squeezed or hurried. And rarely it's the number one thing, but it sends a message. So all those little things. So I I think good bit of advice, you have to be go back to your word, deliberate about not just what the new experience looks like or the new culture looks like, but what are the solid things that that means that you're going to start and stop. And that leads nicely on to number four, which is 
you don't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. What I mean by this is that the reality is this is going to be tough. The reality is that some people are not going to want to go on the journey. But the reality is, is they won't necessarily tell you that. And what they will do is just put in resistance to you. I always remember the last company, last corporate organization I was uh, employed at, I was putting in this large change program and where there were six different sectors that we was implementing in it. And one of the sectors didn't want to do it. And they literally, the guy running that sector was having a literally a monetary bet that it wouldn't work. And so guess what happened when we went to go live with their sector? Yeah. They weren't ready because effectively that senior person had sort of convinced literally everybody it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, literally bet against. Yeah, incredible. And we ended up having to delay, to delay it and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the issue is, is you need to recognize that you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Having said that, if anybody hasn't read the Sun Tzu Art of War book, it's so good to look at it from a business perspective. You have to choose the battles that you're going to fight because you can't win every battle. And therefore, you need to choose the battles that you're going to fight. And sometimes, again, in my experience, that there are a few ritual hangings that you have to do. And what I mean by that is there are some people you're going to have to sack or move because, again, those are the signals that you're serious. And particularly if that person is a high-profile senior person and if they've been battling against you, um, and, you know, then and if you then remove them, that really sends a signal that you're being serious about it. I wouldn't do that just as a matter of course, but and you obviously give everyone the, the challenge and the voice to be able to de- debate things with you and everything else. But if they're undermining what you're doing, you do have to get rid of them, basically. Well, I mean, we, we talked about the importance of these real subtle signals. The flip side of that is it is not difficult to implement these subtle signals that halt cultural change. The deck is stacked against you already to change the culture. And it doesn't take a lot for somebody to say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're saying that. But don't worry, things will go back to the way they were. Um, shortly if we just kind of wait it out so take this seriously this is important within your organization take it deadly seriously and that's another great segue it's almost as if i do this for a living (laughs) i don't but it's almost as if i did it's almost as if we're both sharing the same document on a screen and we can Again, see what's happening next. You have no sense of magic, Colin. <laughs> There's n- no mystery of our execution here. So the last one is, and what builds on uh, what Ryan was just saying, is you need to lead from the top. Yep. So classic stuff. The words and the actions have to be the same. Words are cheap. Yeah. So... If you want to make that cultural change, if you as the leader want to make that cultural change, you have to live it and you have to demonstrate to people that you are living it, even when, and particularly when, it's causing you some pain. Because principles are great, but they mean nothing unless you sacrifice something for them. Yeah, And therefore, you absolutely have to lead from the top 
and make sure that you're doing what you're asking your teams to do as well. A key part of that as well for me, the one that I love is just look at your schedule. You are your schedule. So if you're turning around and saying, we need to be more customer-centric as an organization, we need to spend more time with customers, just look at your schedule and see where you're doing that because you can bet your bottom dollar your organization is looking at you and going, let me look at, and we just did, didn't we, a, a podcast on cognitive dissonance. What's the difference between what Colin is saying as my leader and what he's, is he doing? In fact, we had a recent example of that in the UK where during lockdown in the pandemic, the prime minister's right-hand person, the guy called Dominic Cummings, decided that he would, during lockdown, take his family to live with his his parents. Anyway, it was against the rules. But the Prime Minister backed him 100% and just lost credibility, basically. And everybody was really disappointed and everything else. And the trouble is now is when people break the rules, they just go, well, Dominic Cummings did it, so why can't I do it? Yeah, no, it goes back to the importance of these subtle signals. If we're saying one thing and doing another thing, it, it undermines that culture change. Before I went back to graduate school, I worked for a company that had a new CEO who was very much trying to change the culture of the organization. And one thing he did is he would sit down, I can't remember, once a week, twice a week, he would essentially go through all of the major kind of expenses with the head of accounting for hours each week. And so your point about how you spend your schedule, you better believe that word of that got out to the rest of the organization. And one of the culture changes was we need to take our expenses much more seriously. And so now I'm sure it encouraged the accounting group to not rubber stamp things quite as, as much as they had before, but it also made everybody in the organization realize that, you know, the eyes of the CEO might be on whatever receipt that I was submitting here. So am I in fact justified in, in doing this? And it was a very, very powerful signal. Now, it was the CEO's time, but I, I assume that he thought that it was time well spent for him. And he didn't do that for, you know, the next six years that he was at the company, but for the first several months. And it was this, this very powerful signal, exactly to the point you're making. I used to run a call center in uh, England. I ended up running loads of call centers, but the first one I ran, I used to have about 150 people in down in uh, Bristol in England. This is the number of years ago now. The previous management, his office wasn't even in the call center and he's meant to be leading it. So it was on like a different floor or something? It was a different building. <laughs> it was literally a different <laughs> building. you know. And there was offices in the call center, but it, it was just, just classic. Let me guess where this is going. It turns out that nobody had actually seen him in person. And when you pulled back the curtain, it was a robot. <laughs> I saw this episode the first, of The Twilight Zone. And, uh, the first bit was right. The second bit wasn't. Okay. But anyway, long and short of it is, so I took this place over and I wanted to make the point about being accessible and started to, as I say, wanted to change the culture, et cetera. So I didn't have a, an office there. I would just sit out on the floor with everybody else because, again, that was from a cultural perspective, was saying I was equal to everybody else. But I decided that every other lunchtime I would have a – an informal session with anybody that wanted to, to, to come and meet me and talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. So I used to sit in this um, spare room uh, with the door open and have 
tea and cakes there and wait for people to come in. Nobody came in to talk to me. (laughs) Except this one guy suddenly walked in and he said, you're looking really lonely, so I just thought I'd come and have a chat. (laughs) But the point I'm making is that was an important sort of statement to go, I am making myself available for you. I am going to not have an office. I'm going to be in the, an open plan office with the rest of, with the rest of you, because that's the way that, you know, I want this organization to run. So it is those little signals again that, that people recognize. And to your point, in some ways, the most expensive signal we can send is how we use our own time. But that's kind of the, the ultimate commitment to. Correct what you think is important our own time and our own actions and when people so again one of the things that that i did there was to make sure that i stayed there although i made sure i stay there when the call center was open i didn't go home early basically so they could see that i was also making a personal sacrifice Anyway, so let's go, let's just recap on these five rules. First of all, create or define a burning platform. Number two, recognize that this is long-term. It's not something you're going to deal with short-term. Number three, be clear on what the vision or what the future looks like, and then start to work out the things that you should do and the things you shouldn't do in that new environment. Number four is you don't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Recognize that there's going to be some battles and so maybe some people that you need to move on because they're not going to be part of the new culture. And last of all, lead from the top, match your your words with your actions. And I'm just going to go back to these. It's the little things that matters, where you're spending your time that matters that as a leader will resound around the organization. So we hope that's been of use. Please remember that uh, we do the podcast summary, which is just the sort of one page takeaway of all the key points. So just go to that by going to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.